pray together now. God, we just thank you so much, and we want to lift you up. We do the best we can do, God, with what you've been given. And God, I pray that you would speak to every person here, every person watching online or be watching this in the future. They'd receive from you today. I have a special request today that you interpret for every person exactly what they need to hear as we go through this time together, that we would experience you, that we would come to know that you're for us. We'd hear today that you would say that you love us. That's why you sent Jesus. It's out of love. We just thank you. Thank you for this story that was in this song, that you came, Jesus, down into the humble place, and then you died and you were resurrected. For the joy that was set before you, you went to the cross, and then you established your church, that we could be your witness to the world. We thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. You can have a seat. That'd be great. Thank you so much for singing and being here today and participating in all that we did so far. I love to thank the candlelighting family for helping us with our Advent moment. That was wonderful. I'm Ron Thompson. I get to be one of the pastors here, and it's one of my joys, and I want to welcome all of you and all of you who are watching online as well and be watching from Escaton or from Nevada County Jail in the future. We are so glad that you're with us today. And so as you heard, we're in the season called Advent, right? We're in Advent, and Advent means the coming or the arrival of someone special. And in this case, the church took that term and they adapted it to Jesus Christ. And so Advent is the announcement of the coming of Jesus. But it's more than that, because Advent was promised by the prophets of old, and so God's people were longing for, they were anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And that's what we get to do as well, because Jesus came the first time and was born as a baby, and then we just sang that he was crucified, he went to a cross, he was resurrected, and he went to heaven. And the Bible says that he will come again and he will make all things new. And that's what we're longing for. That's our season. That's the time in between now uh, that we live in. So just so glad that we get to celebrate that and talk about it. So I'm going to ask if you would to grab your message notes. They look like this. They'll be able to follow along today. All the Bible verses we'll use will be here today. And so it's really interesting that because we chose to do these psalms for the Advent season is that last week we had a psalm that had 52 verses in it. And believe it or not, I made it through that in 30 minutes. It was a miracle, okay? Just a total miracle that that happened. We have six today, and I guarantee you about an hour, okay? So that's what we're going to be looking at and talking about. If you have your Bible open to Psalm 126, if you don't own a Bible, we'd like to give you one. You can take one today. They're in a bookshelf right out those doors. We'd love for you to be able to have a Bible in your home. Right at the top of your notes is our theme verse, 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says this, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God, not for our glory, but for his glory. And what we're doing is we're taking certain promises from the Old Testament, certain t promises from the book of Psalms, and when we're applying those to our lives today, and we're saying that that promise was given, and it was yes in Jesus, and we will stamp it with the amen of our agreement as we live in that promise in our lives today. So let's get set it up a little bit, okay? Psalm 126 rests in the kind of in the middle of a series of psalms 
beginning with Psalm 120 and ending with Psalm 134. These psalms have been labeled as the Psalms of Ascent, A-S-C-E-N-T, Ascent, Up, the Psalms of Ascent. It's part of a series of songs that God's people, the people of Israel, would either sing or they might even chant as they would journey or they would travel from wherever they live to Jerusalem to the, the temple, especially for the three major festivals that they were obligated to attend. They were called the Psalms of Ascent because topographically, it was they were going from where they lived upwards to Jerusalem, and so it was topographically upwards, so it was a Psalm of Ascent as they went from their homeland to the temple in Jerusalem, but also they're called Psalms of Ascent because they were indicating that they were making a trip, and the purpose of the trip was that they would look up to God. One of the most famous Psalms of Ascent is Psalm 121. Look up into the hills. Where does your help come from? And it's talking about this idea of looking up as we're anticipating being in God's presence. And so I hope that's where we are today. We're anticipating experiencing him. These were the songs they sang. These songs lifted their spirits as they made their way to the house of God. They had expectations when they would come into the presence of God with the people of God that they would experience God more fully. And there was comfort, and there was freedom, and there was peace, and there was joy in that. So these songs were their traveling songs. I remember my younger days that when I would take road trips, that I would have certain songs I would want to listen to for my road trips. Did anybody else have songs that were your road trip songs? One come to mind? Turn to your neighbor right now and just say, this is the song I would listen to when I took road trips. Go ahead. Go ahead. I did this last night. Almost everybody had one. It may take you a little bit to wake up. So it was... I'll just give you some of mine, okay? I don't want to try to have to hear all over the room, but some of mine were um, Radar Love, Golden Earring, just so you know. All these will tell you how, what era I grew up in, okay? It's every one of them, okay? The Doobie Brothers, China Grove, that was one that I would make sure that I got to listen to. I like to listen to Little Feet, and so there was a song called Dixie Chicken that was so amazingly moving. The band, I listened to Up on Cripple Creek. Uh, the Grateful Dead, Truckin', that's a road trip song, isn't it? When you think about that and living at the Almond Brothers, Ramblin' Man, the Eagles, Peaceful, Easy, Freak, Feeling, I'll get it out. And I have two favorites, they're tied, two favorites, okay? The top two for me would be ZZ Top LaGrange. My goodness, some of you have to go out and Google this today because you have no idea what I'm talking about. And then the last one was Born to be Wild, Born to be Wild, okay? That's a road trip song, isn't it? Oh, maybe that's why I always have a lot of accidents when I was younger. I'm not sure. <laughs> Got in a lot of trouble, too. Uh, so Psalm 126 is a road trip song. It's a traveling song. And today what we're going to look is we're going to look at the promise of joy that was chanted or sung by God's people, and they came at this um, to be able to experience him. Now, let's just be real clear right up front. Joy is not the same as happiness. I know, I know you know that. It's not the same as happiness. Joy is a state of mind, it's a condition of the soul, it's a choice of the will, it's a strength of the mind. It's a deep, settled pattern of being able to look at the world with trust and hope and reliance on God. You can recognize someone who has joy. 
You can recognize it, and when you recognize it, you want to be around them. And one of the ways you can recognize it is their ability to laugh. Laugh in circumstances that seem not laughable. You know someone in your life that lifts your spirits just because of the way they laugh? You just enjoy being around them because they're quick to laugh. It's easy for them to laugh. It's easy for them to be able to express that. See, laughter has a way of penetrating our souls, penetrating and changing our perspective. It's been said that laughter is the best medicine. Laughter is. In fact, there's some benefits about laughter. I just want to give these to you. We'll slap up a slide here. Here's some of the benefits of laughter. This is from that great theological journal, Psychology Today. Okay, it says laughter improves your relationships. Uh, and so that's relationships at home, relationships at work. They say that the healthiest workplace is a place with a lot of laughter. Uh, laughter boosts your memory and lowers your stress. I need to laugh more, I can tell. Uh, and so that's just one of the benefits. Second, laughter makes you resilient and, and able to walk through life much easier because it exercises muscles that allow you to do that. Laughter improves your health. By reducing your blood sugar level, by lowering your blood pressure, by increasing your glucose tolerance. So it actually helps your health as well as strengthening your heart and your abs, okay? <laughs> Laughter makes you a better learner and improves your job performance, and especially if your job depends on creativity and solving complex problems. And then lastly, I like this one, laughter just makes you attractive. Okay, it makes people want to look, be with you and makes you seem more attractive. Laughter is good for you, and it's good for others because healthy, uninhibited laughter is contagious. It's contagious. If you don't believe me, watch this. Now you know what should be on the Christmas list this year, right? Paper, that's all I need. <laughs> and they can have a blast. I just love that. I love that so much. Laughter's contagious. And we're going to end our time today by talking about that and how important it is that we be people of laughter so that we can be <coughs> contagious to our world. So Psalm 126 is full of laughter. We're going to see that in just a little bit. And something even deeper, it goes deeper than laughter. It goes to joy, the source of laughter. And this psalm was written to help God's people remember and see what God is doing and experience the fullness of joy. So the reality is that they were living in their time in between, and just as they were, we're living in our time in between, between the promise of the Messiah and us between the promise of the coming of the Messiah again. And as we talked about last week, when we're living in this time in between, life can be difficult. Life can be hard. Last week, we talked about the fact, the realization that uh, life is not just a series of storms, but life is a storm. And we get to go through. Sometimes the waves are bigger than others, but many times life is just one 
storm. And what we want to realize is that we can journey with hope. We can journey even though life can be a struggle. In Psalm 26, it offers a way to orient our minds, to orient ourselves and think through how we can walk in God's presence and experience his joy. So I'm going to give you three observations as we walk through these six verses, two verses, an observation. First is this. If you want to be filled with joy, look for what God has done. Look for what God has done. Recall what God has done in the past. Spend some time thinking about how God has worked in your life. So let's read verses 1 and 2. It begins with the word when. And by the way, this word when is pointing backwards. It's pointing backwards to something that's happened in the past. And when that moment happened, I'll talk about what that is in a minute. When that moment happened, it says this, the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. We were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with sounds of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. So in this series, we're talking about uh, how several of these psalms, they have their context in what is called the season of captivity for the children of Israel, where they had been taken captive by the Babylonian terrorists, and they had been, you know, their homes had been ransacked, their city had been destroyed, uh, their uh, people had been taken away and moved to Babylon, and so they were, it's at a very, very dark time, a very bleak time. And so their possibility, if you look at circumstances, being able to be an indicator of joy, their joy could have been pretty low and pretty diminished. But God's grace came through to them when they were possibly at their lowest. And he restored them even though they didn't deserve his grace. God's grace came to them, and he made it possible for them to be set free from captivity and go back home. And that word Zion is kind of a global term to indicate the land or the people. God's people is, a, is the land of Zion, and that's where they were able to go back to. It was the land of promise. So they're going back to the land of promise. They're set free. There's a whole story. You can read all about that with Ezra and how they were set free and how they were able to get back into their homeland. Um, but when they got back, they discovered that um, the Babylonians hadn't been very good to their homes. And they haven't taken care of their fields. And everything was in disarray. And the things that, because they had been in their heyday when they were taken captive, and they come back to everything in ruin. Uh, you see pictures right now of what happens in uh, third world countries or the Middle East uh, of the war that goes on all around the people who are living. And you see the disheveled buildings and the bombed out uh, streets and the places where people go, the markets. Well, that's exactly what they had gone back to. In fact, it was so bad that some of the Israelites chose to stay in Babylon. I don't know. There's a whole message there. How we can choose to stay in captivity even though God offers us his grace and sets us free. Well, several of the Israelites chose to stay in captivity. So now those who went back, though, they're now rebuilding their homes and they're reforming their livelihood and they have this period of restoration and this period of renewal. Now, as difficult as that was and as disillusioned as they might have been, it said that this was something beyond their wildest dreams. Being able to go home was beyond their wildest dreams. So even as they were going home and they saw what had happened to their land, they saw what happened to their homes, they were looking at each other going, pinch me, pinch me, pinch me. This can't be real. 
that we get to go home again. This is beyond my wildest dreams. And he was saying that their joy was so deep that they thought, I just got to be dreaming. This can't be real. This can't be true. We are home. And their joy is based on the fact that God had set them free, that God had worked in their lives, and that now they're looking back at that moment when God had allowed them to go home again beyond their wildest dreams. And those who have great joy are those who have great dreams. And they were thinking that they were dreaming. So when the psalmist says that their mouths were filled with laughter, this is what I kind of wanted to get to this part and what we saw in the baby and seeing ourselves as well. It means that these people, even though their circumstances were still difficult, that they were so free after being delivered from the burden of oppression that they couldn't contain their laughter. They were contagious. So the picture here when it said that their laughter was coming out of their mouth is this picture of uncontrollable, blowing milk out your nose, <laughs> side-splitting, tears streaming down the face, laughter. That's the picture here. That's the picture of joy that they were experiencing. They had so much joy that nothing else could come out of their mouth. Nothing negative could come out. Just laughter. And their joy, their laughter, as we're going to see, was contagious to those around them. So contagious that people looked at them and thought, you're either crazy or you've got something I need. You're either crazy or you've got something I need. And that's where we're going to end our time together today as we look at that in a few minutes. So Psalm 126 is just written as a reminder. Here's what God has done. Here's what God has done. So the action step here is that we need to stop and spend time recalling what God has done in the past so that we can express gratitude to him for what he's done in our lives. You guys remember last year we uh, talked about joy. We talked about gratitude. We talked about Thanksgiving. I had a quote from Brene Brown, and she says this, there is no joy without gratitude, without gratitude. She goes on and adds this subpoint. She says this, we are a people who are hungry for more joy because we are starving for gratitude. And we're not spending time being grateful for what has happened. In our case, as the people of God, grateful for what God has done. So the key to biblical joy is being able to recall all that God's done for you. Number two, second observation, look for what God is doing. What God is doing. So now we get to the present. So the song goes from the past to the, to the present moment and why we can have joy in this moment. Okay, it says this in verses 3 and 4. The Lord has done great things for us. We are, underline that, are glad. Present moment. We are experiencing joy. And it comes with a prayer. Restore now, God, our fortunes like streams in the Negev. Streams in the Negev. Now, the Negev is describing a desert land. It's you know, a picture of Palestine, if you can imagine rural Palestine, uh, desert region Palestine, where there are ravines and gullies and old riverbeds, and there's nothing but dirt and rock, and there is no water. And it's talking about, he's saying, restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. And the idea here is that there are times in the season in this region where there will be a rain. And when that rain will come, these dry riverbeds, these ravines, these gullies, they will be filled with water. 
And then what happens after the water comes is that then there will be life. There will be green all around. And they're saying, please make that happen. I want to show you a picture of what that might look like. And you hear the voices. They're so excited about what's happening. They're calling out. They're crying out. They're celebrating the fact that the water has come. And the idea here is now that the water has come, that now everything that is around the water will look green again. Now look back at what's happened. There was no water. There was no life in the flowing water. And so... When the people of Israel pray here, restore our fortunes like this, what they're saying is, is that we came from Babylon where our fortunes were dry. We lived in a dry land. There was no water. There was nothing that we could have joy over. And God, we're asking you to restore our fortunes just like it would be when the water runs through the Negev, when the water runs through that region. Now, they were secure. They were secure in this. I don't know about you, but this is one of my struggle areas. They believed that they could ask God to change their current circumstances. They believed they could ask God to change their current circumstances. What would you ask God to change? What in your life feels dry? Need some water. Need some replenishing. Need some restoration. Would you be bold enough today with me to pray and ask God that he would restore you, that you would not give in to what you think your reality is, but you would trust that God Almighty is working on your behalf and he wants to work on your behalf. And that leads us to our third idea, and it's this. People who are filled with joy look for what God will do. They look for what God will do. They look for what God has done. They look for what God is doing, and they look for what God will do. Look in that way. They want to be able to look to the future. And this is what we do when we grab hold of God's promises and we trust him. We're looking forward to that future. So the idea is we look backward with gratitude and that creates joy. We look around with confidence and that creates assurance. And we look ahead also. We look around with contentment and that creates assurance, and we look forward with confidence, and that creates hope. This is what it says in the last two verses. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Would you circle the two times? It says shall. This is the future. This is what God has promised here. So he uses another metaphor here that I find to be extremely meaningful, and I hope that you will as well as we kind of 
spend a little bit more time here and break this down to try to understand it. And it was this. Take your tears and sow them in the ground. Take your tears and sow them in the ground. See, your tears as seeds and plant them in the dryness of this desert. Take your heartache, take your grief, take your loss, take the shame that you feel or you're experiencing, take the tears of those experiences then and plant them in God. Plant them in God, and then you will reap a harvest of delight. Eugene Peterson has a book. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And it's a book about all of the Psalms of Ascent, if you ever wanted to read that. It's a really, really deep book. And walks through all from 120 to 134, every one. And on the, Psalm on, uh, on the chapter on Psalm 126, he says this. Joy is nurtured by anticipation. We think of Christmas and kids here, right? It's nurtured by anticipation. If the joy-producing acts of God are characteristic of our past as God's people... They will also be characteristic of our future as God's people. There is no reason to suppose that God will arbitrarily change his, mind, his way of working with us. What we have known of him, we will know of him. Just as joy builds on the past, it borrows from the future. It expects certain things to happen. So I look forward to what God will do. So what I want to do now is I want to take about, talk about two ways... For you and I to plant our tears, to sow our tears, to sow our seeds. Two ways. There's two ways we can approach this. And I'm going to put them on the screen. You can write both of them down. We're going to kind of work through this. I can look forward and I can sow with tears of bitterness, seeds of bitterness, or I can sow with seeds of brokenness. There's just two ways to approach this. Bitterness or brokenness. So this is key. This is key to what we're talking about here when it says that they will sow their tears and they will reap with joy. Now, there's a way you sow your tears. This is what we want to talk about. That you sow your tears that will move you into the pathway of reaping with joy. There's two choices, and the first one is bitterness. Bitterness. Bitterness flows from the heart that believes that God is not for me. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden that God is not for me, that God doesn't have my best in mind, and there must be something more, and so I have to turn away from God. Bitterness flows from a heart that believes that God's holding out on me, that he's not giving me what I need, that somehow I've done something, I deserve better, and I'm not getting what he's promised in some way. So that's bitterness. Brokenness flows from a heart that's experienced pain or loss, pain or loss, it's a heart that's felt the injustice of the world. It's a heart that knows depravity. It's a heart that's experienced its own failure and yet, yet still believes that God is good. Still believes that God is good. So when you sold, sow seeds of bitterness, what you're doing is you're holding on to the pain. You're holding on to the injustice. You're holding on to the depravity. You're holding on to the hurt. You're holding on to the grudge. You're holding on, not wanting to let go. But when you sow with seeds of brokenness, you're releasing. 
You're releasing your tears. You're releasing your sadness. You're releasing your pain. You're releasing your struggle. And you're letting go. And you're planting so that God can grow a harvest. Bitterness never lets go. It holds on. Brokenness lays down its pain at the feet of the one who can take it all and understand it. Bitterness dries out, hardens the heart, it immobilizes, it freezes time at its worst moments. You ever know anyone like this? When you talk to them, they're stuck at a moment back here, a worst moment, and they're not able to move on because they're holding on to that bitterness. It binds us forever to those who've hurt us, betrayed us, abandoned us, rejected us, or abused us. It forces us to permanently dwell on the per- permanently dwell on and perpetually meditate on all of our despair, all that's going on. Bitterness isolates us from remedy and turns us against any who would dare to bring us comfort. Bitterness accepted the false narrative that nothing will ever change, that hope is a lie, that no one can help, and that God is against us. Are you guys seeing that bitterness is not the way we want to go? So clear. Brokenness. What brokenness does, it brings us into close proximity with others who are also broken and willing to admit it and willing to open up. It invites others to enter into our pain with us so that we know we're not alone. Brokenness clings to the shreds of hope that it has. Brokenness points forward to a preferred future It provides us with an outlet for our pain and our disappointment. It invites God to be present and to speak into the hurt. Bitterness or brokenness. So seeds of bitterness or sow seeds of brokenness. We want to be people who sow seeds of brokenness. There's an old pastor by the name of Vance Havner. And um, I just love this quote. And, you know, I just love the fact that he went on and lived a full life as a pastor. And there's the quote. God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. So I just want to ask today, what are you doing with your tears? What are you doing with your tears? Your tears need to be sown. They need to be invested. They need to be planted. And not only are they seeds, but in a sense, they're like the water that these seeds need in order to sprout. When you shed your tears and you plant them, are you wasting your tears? What are you doing with your sorrows? In this world, you will reap, you will reap, but how are you weeping? Is it with bitterness or brokenness? When you reap tears of sorrow, as the psalmist says, you will reap sheaves of joy, crops over your shoulder, tied together, abundance, abundance joy, abundance in harvest. And that's the promise of Advent. That's the promise of Advent. That's the promise that Jesus lived for. Look at this verse from Hebrews 12. It says this about Jesus. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. 
For the joy set before him, would you underline that? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So the best solution I can give you today, the best solution, the best remedy, the best prescription that I can give today is right from those verses. So when I'm struggling about the kinds of seeds I'm going to plant, when I'm struggling of feeling that God might have abandoned me, I'm struggling with finding a way that I can find joy. The writer of Hebrews said, this is what we are called to do, and that is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. You guys notice the outline, how simple it was today? That's me. Simple. I just want to tell you the simple thing I want to tell you that I tell you all the time. The source of our hope, love, joy, peace is our willingness to be in the presence of Jesus. The antidote to our depression, to our defeat, our discouragement, the things that we come up against is to be in the presence of Jesus and to be with him. And when we do that, the Bible says that we will be like Jesus. He endured the cross. He endured the pain for the joy that was before him, the joy that's before us. So it's heaven where he says that all tears will be wiped away, all things will be made new. You can trust me on that. You can trust me on that. So I'm going to roll back again, roll back to Psalm 126, 2b, and it says this. I'm going to just echo this again. It says, then they said among the nations. So this is the people who are watching God's people, who had no reason for joy. And it says this, the Lord has done great things for them, for them. And folks, I'll just say this. Our world is looking at those who say they follow God through Jesus Christ. Our world is looking for people like that, and they want to see by the way we respond to life. Not necessarily the fact that we go to church. By the way we respond to life, if we really believe in our hearts and our souls that God will do what he says he will do. And it's measured by the joy we have when sorrows come our way and difficulties threaten to dry up the joy in our lives. And when we live with the promise of joy and we experience the promise of joy and that joy fills our mouths with laughter, we become missionaries. We become missionaries for God. See, the joy of what God's done in our past, the joy of what God is doing now, the joy of what God has promised, when we experience that and we experience that joy and it becomes laughter that rolls out of our mouths and we are living in life that way, we become his missionaries. And that's what he's called us to be, It's a missionary for him. Look at these verses that talk about this from Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41 is while they're still in captivity, talking about this idea. It says this, the poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs so that people may see 
and now may consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done this, that the Holy One of Israel has created it. They will see through my people who are living out their joy so that others can see. And then 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this, and he says, All this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people, notice this, may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Our joy is to be contagious so that the world can see Jesus. I want to ask you to bow your heads. I want us just to spend a time in reflecting today. Let's give you a couple of minutes. I'm going to ask a couple of questions just to prompt us through this. First one is I just want to give you a moment to recall. A moment to recall. Maybe just start now. Just start thinking of the things that God has done in your past. Ask God to help you. Ask God to help you to remember his actions for you. Ways he was there in your past. Express gratitude. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your presence, God. None of us would be here if God hadn't worked in our past. Now just ask God to help you to to realize what he's doing now. What he's doing in your present. Maybe it's still unfinished. It's in the middle. Maybe there's some disequilibrium even. What is he doing in your present that he wants you to lean into? How he wants you to realize that he's not finished with you yet. He's still working in you and on you. And once again, express gratitude. Just thank you, God. Thank you for what you're doing. And God, would you, just like the prayer said, would you restore my fortunes? Just like the water in the Negev. And lastly, just would you think about for a moment a promise that you know personally that God has given you. Maybe it's a Bible verse that somewhere along the line meant a lot to you that you said that I'm going to lean into this. I'm going to stand on this verse. Maybe Holy Spirit has whispered even in the time we've been together today a way that you're approaching the tears you have with bitterness or with brokenness. And that you want to ask him today for his help, his strength, that you would change from the bitterness side to the brokenness side so that you could be free and you could set those free around you that you're also holding captive. Thank you, God. God, I just thank you for the opportunity to hear from you today. And I pray for your people. I pray for anyone in the room who's never said yes to Jesus, that today is the perfect day, that they've heard that Jesus... For the joy that was set before him, which is you, that he endured the cross for you because he loves you. And you would just say, Jesus, thank you so much. I I want to know that love. I want to say yes to you today. I want to receive your forgiveness and your love in my life. I want to follow you. Help me to know more what it means to know you, Jesus. 
And God, I thank you for the joy that we can have. Joy, joy down in our souls. And it can be so deep. And Lord, I know we live in a world that wants to suck the joy out of us. And that you would help us to be resilient. And that means keeping our eyes focused on you. And we thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.